Today's reading is from Luke 17, the first one, 11 to 19, on page 1627. Dear God, what I read today, I always love these passages. They just make me so good. That remind me. That reminds me of just forgiving people. And I remember my late mother was a teacher, and she said, always give thanks to God and pray to God for guidance and exams. So this is really a good passage, and I love reading both of them, and I can never get tired of them. And be with Reverend Beanster, please, today as he tells the word. Thank you. Ten healed of leprosy. Now on the way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at interest at the distance, called out in a very loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourself to the priests. As they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw them, he was healed came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. And he was a Samaritan, as we know they were despised. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Have no one found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. The next passage is from 2 Kings, 2 Kings 5, 1 to 19, and this is one of my favorite ones, found on 576. Now Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master, and hardly regarded, because through him the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a violent soldier, but he had leprosy. Now bands from Aram had gone out and taken captive a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went to his master and told him what the girl from Israel said. By all means, go, the king of Aram replied. I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So Nahum left, taking with 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and 10 sets of clothing. The letter they took to the king of Israel read, with this letter I'm sending my servant Nahum to you so that you may cure him of his leprosy. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robe and said, I am a god. Can I heal and can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me be cured of this leprosy? See how he's trying to pick a quarrel with me? When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Nahum went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent the messenger to say to him, Go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan, 
Your flesh will be restored, and you'll be cleansed. But Naaman went away angry and said, I thought that he was sure to come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than of the waters of Israel? Couldn't I have been washed in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. Naaman's servants went to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do some great things, would you have not done it? How much more than, than when he calls to tell you, wash and be cleansed? So he went down and dipped himself in the Jordan seven times, as the man of God had told him. And his flesh was restored, and became clean like that of a young boy. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him and said, Now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. Please accept now a gift from your servant. The prophet answered, As surely as God lives, whom I serve, I will not accept a thing. And even though Nahum urged him, he refused. If you will not, said Nahum, please let me, your servant, be given as much earth okay, be given as much earth as a pair of mules can carry. For your servant will never again make birth offerings and sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. But may the Lord forgive your servant for this one thing. When my master enters the temple of Ramon to bow down, and he's leaning on my arm, and I bow there also. When I bow down in the temple of Ramon, may the Lord forgive your servant for this. Go in peace, Elisha said. This is the word of the Lord. That's my desktop, that's not the PowerPoint. Okay, if, if we have problems, just, just turn it off. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, Lord God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Ministers have stupid moments at times. I've been doing this long enough to know that and to be honest about that. Um, once, when I was studying um, the whole issue of healing in the New Testament, I thought to myself, you're going to make a study of all the healings that Jesus did, and then we're going to look at how he did it, and then we're going to copy what he did. It's an honest enough idea, but it was turned out to be totally dumb. Because Jesus healed tons and tons of people. John says, if everything that Jesus had done was written up, the world couldn't hold all the books. And there are these phrases in the Gospels, in Capernaum, 
Uh, at other times when there were just mobs and mobs of people that came for healing and they were all healed. And we have no idea how many. But if you look at the specific healings of Jesus in the Bible, there are 31 of them. And if you look at how he does it, he uses different techniques. For instance, uh, many times he would just simply... Um, Okay, now I've lost my picture too. You'll have to forgive me for a moment. Um, many times Jesus would just simply say it. Um, by the word of the Lord were the he heavens made. Uh, John says, through him everything that was made was made and as the Father spoke creation into being so Jesus speaks healing when the Roman centurion comes in Matthew 8 looking for his servant to be healed he says you don't don't come to my house I don't deserve it just say the word and my servant will be healed and Jesus says go it will be done. So often Jesus would speak. Many times he would touch. There is another story of a healing of a leper in Matthew 8. And, and, and Jesus touched him. Now touching a leper meant that you instantly were contaminated. That you were instantly defiled. But he touched him. He healed him. Sometimes people touched him, the woman with the issue of blood, touched him. And so he touched or people touched him. So he spoke or he touched. And sometimes you would, like if you'd go to your specialist, if you had a speaking problem or a hearing problem and you went to your specialist and you asked your specialist go, spit on the floor, make some mud, put it on your eyes, or take his hand and ah, stick it in your mouth, or poke it in your ears. You'd be shocked. You might protest. You'd go to the website reporting your doctor, and you'd say, eee. But Jesus did it. Maybe he did it so that dumb young ministers in the 20th century wouldn't start copying stuff like that. But he did it. He spoke, he touched, and sometimes he did some really odd stuff. And then there is this episode in Luke 10 or Luke 17. It says that Jesus was traveling along the border between Samaria and Galilee. He was on his way to Jerusalem. He was on his way to the cross. It's his last visit to Jerusalem. And he's not going to the other side of the Jordan. He's going through Samaria. And right on the border of Samaria and Galilee, ten lepers come to him. Now they're outside the village, because they're supposed to be outside the village. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, 
Master, have mercy. Why were they outside the village? Because leprosy is contagious. Leprosy was to the time of Jesus what HIV is in our time. It's not user-friendly. People who have leprosy for a long time undergo really bad physical side effects. Your extremities begin to waste and to wear off. You end up without fingers and toes, without noses or ears, and it is not a very pleasant thing. And I, I have this wonderful picture of a group of lepers taken in, in 1900. It's a really old picture, many years ago, but of a group of lepers as they might have appeared in the days of Jesus. And you can see, if you look closely in the picture, the unpleasant aspects of leprosy. And this is why the Bible says in Leviticus 13, the person who has leprosy will wear torn clothes, his hair will be messy, and he shall cover his upper lip, and he shall cry, unclean, unclean, and he shall live alone outside the village, outside of the community, people would bring food and leave it for them. They would not touch, they would not hug, they would not kiss, they would not have fellowship. You can see in the story that we read from Naaman that the wife would be upset that her husband had leprosy. So 10 lepers stand at a distance as they're supposed to, and they call, Jesus, Master, have pity. And when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priest. At first hand, that seems a little off-putting. Why would he tell them to go show themselves to the priest? And the answer is very simple. You need to understand the Old Testament rules about leprosy. Leprosy could be cured, and sometimes it was. And the arbiter of whether or not you had leprosy or whether you were healed was the priest. Priests lived locally. They served by rotation in Jerusalem. And so Jesus is saying, go to the nearest priest and show yourself. Now, you need to understand that if Jesus says to the priest, or to the lepers, go to the priest and show yourself that he intends to signal that there's going to be healing. Because he didn't, Jesus was never mean, not cruel. Jesus didn't say, go show yourself and they'll tell you you're dying, you stupid person. No, he would say, you're going to be healed. Go show yourself to the priest. The priests were the scrutineers, and so he signals his intent. You are going to be made well. Note the parallel with the Naaman story. I don't think the parallel is accidental. Jesus knew his Old Testament inside out. He mentions Naaman in the synagogue at Nazareth. He mentions name, and he says there were many, many lepers in the days of Elisha, but the Syrian is the only one who gets healed. And the Syrian 
goes through the same process. There's this comic story of the little girl tells the wife and the wife tells the husband and the husband tells the king and the king sends to the king and the king gets upset and says, who does he think I am? And Elisha says, well, send him to me. And then you have to listen carefully to how the writer describes the story. So Naaman came and stood at Elisha's door. Here we have a five-star general. He's got his Hummer, Humvee. Well, his had horses, but we have to stick with the times. And he's parked outside the door, and they're banging on the door, and Elisha sends Gehazi, his servant, go wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh will be restored. And, and, and Naaman has a fit. Naaman feels highly insulted. Here I am, a five-star general. I expect that he would come out and that he would pay his respects and that he would wave his hand over the site and he would call on God and maybe light incense or at least play some nice music or swing a censer or sprinkle or anoint. He tells me to go wash. He tells me to go wash in the Jordan. The Jordan is nothing compared to what I've got back home. And he just gets in his Humvee and he wants to go home. But his servants have listened carefully. And his servants tap on his shoulder. They don't have any choice. They're servants, they're slaves. They have to deal with him. And they say to him, my father, don't you realize that the prophet really gave you good news? Don't you realize that he actually said to you, wash, and when you do, you will be clean. So why don't we go to the Jordan? It's not that far. And why don't you go in? It's not that hard. And why don't you go once, twice, three times, four times, and the anxiety rises and they're all just grabbing the edge of the door. Six, seven, and he comes out and his flesh was restored like that of a young boy. Fresh, clean, as nice and pink as his mother could have scrubbed it on a Saturday night. He's healed. He is healed in the going. And that's exactly what happens to the lepers. And as they went, they were healed. If they had just stood there and waited, Jesus says, go to the priest, but maybe we should just stand here and wait until something happens. They could have stood all day. But as they went, the first time I saw this in the scripture, it was just an awesome moment because they, like Naaman, were healed in the going. 
they received a command from God. And the command became reality not as they just sat and waited, but as they put one foot in front of the other and as they went on the journey that he called them to go on. It is as they went that they were healed. Not as they hung back, not as they waited, not as they sat, not as they looked for the past, but as they put their faces to the future and they acted on God's will in the present. As they went, they were healed. They exercised faith because faith, says Hebrews, is the substance of things hoped for. They wanted to may be made well. The evidence of things not seen. They saw leprosy, they wanted to see clean flesh. And the lepers went to the priest, and Naaman went to the Jordan. And as they went, and in Naaman's case, as he dipped, they were healed. Faith became reality. What they hoped for became visible, and what was not seen became seen. As they went, they were cleansed. Jesus knew his Bible. Jesus knew that this was the case with Abraham. Abraham was a happy idolater, serving 31 gods in Ur of the Chaldees, and then God says to him, go to Canaan. Go to Palestine. I will show you one God. I will make you great. Through you, I will bless the nations. And I will give you a people. And as he went, he hung back in Haran for a while, says Genesis. But again, God says, go. God pokes him and God says, go. And as he went, he was healed. He realized his land, his blessings, his son. But it is in the going. Moses, his great, 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 whatever, grandson, stands at the, at the sea, the sea in front, the Egyptians behind, and all the Israelites crying, where's God? We need God. And God says to Moses, stop crying. Tell them to go forward. Stretch your rod over the sea and divide it. And the sons of Israel will go through the midst of the sea on dry land. Go. And when Moses is done, he takes Joshua's side and anoints him. And he says, be strong. Be courageous. Do not fear. Don't be in dread of them. The Lord your God goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. I'm quoting Deuteronomy 31. And Joshua goes. And it is in the going that God blesses him. It is in the going that God strengthens him. It is in the going that God takes care of him. Now, if you go back to the story of the lepers, one of them, when he saw that he was cleansed, came back and praised God in a loud voice, and he threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. There's a double cleansing here. It's the Samaritan. 
And, and a lot of people look at this scripture and they say, well, only the Samaritan had thanks. But again, we miss the point because we are not clear about the cultural context. The Samaritan couldn't go to the priest. The priest wouldn't give him the time of day. The priest would slam the door in his face. The priest would say, I'm not here for you guys. You're scum. You're Gentile. You're worse than Gentile. No Samaritans in the temple, no Samaritans in my synagogue, no Samaritans in my office. He could only go to Jesus. And Jesus cleanses him from his leprosy, and he cleanses him from his alienation. And he includes him in the people of God. There is a double going and a double healing. Elisha and Naaman have the same sort of experience. Because as the Samaritan comes back to Jesus, Naaman goes back to Elisha. And this time he gets out of the Humvee and he stands by the door and he's very humble. And he says, now I know that there is no God in all the earth except in Israel. So please, I got all this silver, I got all this gold, I've got all these changes of clothes, accept a present from your servant. But Elisha says, nope, nothing. Gehazi gives in to the temptation and ends up with the leprosy instead. But nothing. And then, and then Naaman says, at least can I have some mud? And the point of the mud is simply this. He wanted to build an altar in his house to the God of Israel. And that had to be because they all thought of gods as territorial. That had to be on some mud from Israel. And he wants a pass for if he has to go to the house of Rimmon with his master. And Elisha says to him, go in peace. As Jesus says to the Samaritan, go in peace, your faith has made you well. Elisha says to Naaman, go in peace. What does it say to us? It's late January, tomorrow will be February, but there are still a few signs around that say Happy New Year, but we face a new year, 11 months still to go. We face challenges. Every one of you here has a challenge, whether as an individual, as a student, as a young person, as starting a relationship, starting a family, becoming a parent. All of a sudden with this whole Zika virus thing, becoming a parent, which is normally very normal and something to be not anxious about in the least, all of a sudden for many people it's become an anxiety issue. We face different situations. As a church, as a cell group, as a prayer group, every circumstance has its own challenge. And the question before all of us is do we go forward or do we want to look back? Do we want to affirm the status quo? So often we like the status quo. It blows my mind when you read in the first chapter of the book of Acts. Here you have the apostles on the road to the Mount of Olives with Jesus. He's been with them for 40 days. 
They have seen the entire ministry. When Judas needs to be replaced, Peter says, someone who was with us from the baptism of John till the moment when Jesus was taken up, such a person must become an apostle. They have seen the entire ministry of Jesus. They have seen tons of people healed. They have seen 31 specific healings. They recorded them for us in the Gospels. They have watched him go to the cross. They have watched him come from the tomb. They have seen the prince in his hands and in his side. They've seen him go through closed doors and yet eat with them like any other normal person. They know that he is the Son of God, the Messiah, that he has accomplished God's intent and God's purpose for his people. And what do they ask him? Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, they weren't talking about the kingdom as used in the Lord's Prayer. They were talking about the kingdom of David. They were talking about human rulers. They were talking about dealing with publicans. They were talking about dealing with the Romans. They were talking about making the temple the center of the universe. They were talking about Israel becoming a ruling place as it was in the days of David and Solomon. Lord, at this time, can we turn the clock back, please? When are you going to do this? When does one of us get to sit at your right hand and one at your left? When do we get to rule? When do we get what we want? Nostalgia for the past is not unique to the disciples. You see it in the Old Testament, the people of Israel. Could anything be greater in the Old Testament than the delivery from Egypt? Slavery, 24-7. Being beat up every day, being told to work every day, being told what you could do, where you could live, how many kids you could have, which kids had to die, which kids could live. And what did they do when they get out into the wilderness? When Moses has set them free, they say, we liked it back there. Because twice in Numbers 11, they said, remember the fish we ate in Egypt? The cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, the garlic. Sounds like a restaurant menu. In Exodus 16, would that we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt when we sat by the pots of meat. If Numbers 11 is vegan, vegan this is a little more um, meat-oriented. When we ate bread to the full, you have brought us out here to kill us with hunger. Let's elect someone and take us back to Egypt. Nostalgia for the past is often something that keeps us back. But God says to us, like Abraham, like Moses, like Joshua, like Naaman, like the ten lepers on the border of Samaria and Galilee, you are a pilgrim people. And it is only when you lay hold of the challenges of God that come to you individually 
as families, as congregations, as a classes. When we lay hold of the challenges of God and when we say, yes, Lord, I will follow you. Yes, Lord, I will put this day into your service. Yes, Lord, I will put one foot in front of the other. Yes, Lord, I will stop, step on the road of pilgrimage and service. It's as we go that we are healed. It is as we go that we are blessed. It is as we go that the darkness that we see ourselves in, because we're operating by faith, that the darkness begins to lighten, and we see the dawn, and we see the light of the Spirit shining upon our path. God goes with us. One of the prayers that annoys me the most when I hear it, and we all have said it, and some of us still say it, we ask God to please be with us. And that's such a dumb prayer because God says, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I'm quoting Hebrews 13, verse 8. He himself has said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Don't ask God to be present with you. He promised he would. And he keeps his word. Pray rather that you be open to the presence of God. That you clear out the cobwebs of your mind and of your ears and of your heart and that you hear what Jesus says to the Samaritan who came back to him. He said, rise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Your faith is making you well. Your faith will make you well tomorrow because it is in the going that we are healed. It is in the obedience, in the hearing, that we are blessed. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. You can trust me. Go and be healed. This is the word of the Lord. And God's people say, Thank you.